So, tell me some Trini sayings then. I don't know Trini saying. What well, do you mean there's no Trini saying? I don't sayings? know. You just have to tell me when I talk in Trini like, so that I can know I talk in Trini. Because other than that, I think it's just proper English. Yeah, that's to true. Me. You don't realize. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what you mean by talking Trini. I, I, I just talk. Okay, then. Welcome to the seventh episode of Cool Culture and um, I'm here with Ramel Ravello who's a special guest and uh, I'd just like to say thank you Ramel for being on the show today. Oh thank you very much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on Cool Culture London show today. You know I've, I've been really looking forward to doing this show you know so it's a pleasure and an honor and a privilege to finally be here. Awesome. I appreciate that. So I'm gonna start how I always start. I'm gonna ask you your three favorite musicians. My three favorite musicians. Um, you might not know my musicians because I'm from Trinidad in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So we have a completely different genre of music altogether from my, in my country, which is soca music. So my three top musicians would have to be Marshall Montano. Of course. Bungie Garland. Yes. And Jay-Z. Okay. So you know Jay-Z. I don't know who that is. So you're gonna try and mm. you're gonna have to tell me a bit about mm. this Jay-Z guy. Wow. Probably the first person in the entire world that doesn't know who Jay-Z is. Mm -hmm. I can educate you from the blueprint come straight up to 444. Go ahead. Really, right now? Is that what the show yeah. is about? Just, you know, well, a little okay, few, Jay few minutes. Jay-Z is the first and only billionaire black rapper to ever make a billion dollars. Yeah, he's the first billionaire black rapper. So, which is an inspiration and an encouragement to me and to all young black men coming out of the ghetto, coming out from the hood, from the projects, that, yeah, we could aspire to reach somewhere, you know? Jay-Z literally started from absolutely nothing. And now Forbes list rates him uh, with people like Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. So he's he's a great inspiration to me, and his music is on point, especially the last album that he released, the 444. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I think it really speaks to the African community or the Black community mm -hmm. in America, the Western diaspora, and across the entire world. I really feel like that for a long time, Jay Z was a kind of controversial figure, and people were not really sure about where his loyalties lied and all of those kind of things but I feel like with the 444 album like he won back a lot of hearts with that one to be honest uh, definitely even some of my biggest admirers were talking about Jay-Z mm. and that was phenomenal for me because uh, I think that so many people had so many things to say about Jay-Z in the past and like you said they didn't know where his affiliations lied so many people had so many thoughts about talks about him being like a freemason him being like not for the black community and so forth but i think those thoughts just came mostly out of not knowing the guy mm. and not liking his music of course a lot of people who when they hate you and when they're hating on you they would try to say anything mm -hmm. that will pull put you down but I remember once Jay-Z said to a reporter that he was amazing. 
and they ran a whole story. Oh, Jay-Z admitted to being a Mason. Because he said he's amazing. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so it was just like he, the reporter heard wrong. Exactly. Oh, okay. That's crazy. It is. Before we switch this topic, tell me a bit about Marshall Montana. Marshall Montano. Marshall Montano is first to begin. He's the king of soca music. He is the biggest superstar that my country has ever produced. Mm -hmm. He is rated by Forbes list as being the most electrifying entertainer of our times after Michael Jackson. Uh, he has sold out concerts in Madison Square Gardens uh, all across the world. He has concerts in Japan, in Africa, uh, in all across the world. He just made a movie half in India, half in Trinidad and Tobago. He's doing a lot of great things, but he is basically the pride and joy when it comes to entertainment of my country. And I've been blessed in such a way that he happens to be a personal friend of mine's. So yeah, Marshall Montano is just the most awesome, electrifying entertainer there is today in 2017. I'm sorry that the mainstream media doesn't know about him, but he's making headways. Yes. I'm surprised as well. I mean, I would have thought that he would have more recognition, to be honest. Yes. But I'm sure in time, everything, you know, it will happen. Exactly. Yeah. But what he has been doing, though, he has been putting our country, Trinidad and Tobago, on the map globally through his music and mm -hmm. i really appreciate him for that because wherever he goes he flies our red black and white flag with proud uh proud what is the word i'm looking for i'm lost for words and that's usually not happen it doesn't admiration. happen to me. yeah proud admiration thank you very much okay. so i want you to tell me a bit about what it was like for you growing up well, for me growing up, it was uh, not the orthodox lifestyle that you would accustom hearing about. I've been living on my own from the age of 11, uh, living on the streets of Trinidad, uh, sleeping in the parks in the capital city of Port of Spain, eating from the trash cans and so forth, uh, begging, washing cars, uh, doing whatever I could to survive. So I had a very, very hard upbringing and I had to basically teach myself all of my moral and ethical values that I hold today and it was really hard because there was actually a point in my life where I didn't want to live. When I was 15 years old I was sleeping on a park bench one day and someone came up to me and they poured acid on my face and for many years after that happened I was totally defeated uh, psychologically and emotionally that I was just the shell of the person that I am today but I'm thankful that in 2009 I had the opportunity when I was uh, 20 years old to go do reconstructive surgery on my face in America and it was being in America that um, my life changed and I realized I was just an ordinary person but not just an ordinary person that I had something to offer the world so that was basically my childhood bringing up myself that's amazing I mean I've met people that haven't gone through half of the problems that you've gone through and you know i speak to you now and you're you speak so eloquently and you're such a, a nice character to be around this it's really amazing oh thank you you're making me blush now thank uh, you very much okay so tell me a bit more about trinidad because you was in the black caucus movement wasn't you yes i was the youth leader of the black caucus movement how does one jump from sleeping on benches to becoming 
a pillar in the black community? I think it has a lot to do with destiny and very little to do with me. Because, you know, when you're destined to do something or to be somewhere, then God will work the situations out in your life where he would bring you to that place where he wants you to be. If you check the stories that we have from the Bible, people like Joseph, people like Job, all of the characters, Abraham, they were all ordinary men who God, through extraordinary circumstances, molded and shaped them into whom he wanted them to be. So I ended up from the streets to being the youth leader of the Black Caucus movement because of destiny. That's amazing. So... If you could tell us a bit more about the... Because a lot of people, a lot of... Well, me personally, and I know a few other people, they don't really know about the, the race issues in Trinidad. So would you enlighten us on that? Okay, so the demographics of Trinidad is... Trinidad is approximately 298 square kilometres uh, in circumference. And it has a population of 1.3 million uh, citizens and about 45 to 48% of that populace is of African descent, black people. Another 40% is of Indian descent, or as we say in the West Indies, of East Indian descent. And then after you have another 5% of mixed race, and then you have all of the little minority percentages, uh, the Caucasian, the Chinese and so forth making up the minorities in Trinidad but it's basically almost half and half black and Indian mm. so there's some kind of racial tension going on there um, racial tension I, I wouldn't really say racial tension uh, but what I would say is that um, in the Indian community and in the Hindu religion they have what they call the caste system Mm -hmm. which is a system of the accumulation of wealth and power. Uh, so they are focused on building wealth and power for their families individually and as a community because of the hundreds of years of Indian culture and influence that they were allowed to keep when they came to the West Indies as indentured laborers. So they were able to accumulate wealth, they were able to accumulate position of power. And because of their system, they were able to use institutionalized racism as to where they would be able to control who gets what positions, who owns what land, and so forth, and make sure that they were in a position where they could oppress and keep the African community down so that they could be their servants. And um, I just want to make it clear the differences between the African immigrants who were slaves and the Indian immigrants who were actually laborers. Yes. So please describe like the differences between the two. Okay, so we know that in the from the 1500s, uh, Christopher Columbus uh, started to explore the Western world and the governments of France or the business people in France along with their government the people of England and the Americans they actually the, the Caucasian races in those three countries they brought they went to Western Africa kidnapped 
imprisoned, enslaved our ancestors, packed them like sardines in what is called the Middle Passage across the Atlantic where they were forced to sleep in chained next to each other, hand and foot in their own feces, in their own vomits, next to dead bodies, rodents running next to them, uh, seeing their wives and daughters being raped on a daily basis. Whenever one, they felt that one of our ancestors was too weak to continue the journey, they would simply just throw them off at sea. Finally, brought them to the Caribbean. Uh, put them in shackles and change, whip them, whip their names out of them, whip their language out of them, whip their religion out of them, whip their culture out of them, and force them to work on the sugar and cotton plantations, which built the wealth of the Western developed world that we have today. So when slavery was abolished in the 1800s, uh, the black slave or the, the former slaves were no longer willing to work for free for their former slave masters mm -hmm. and they did not want and the caucasians did not want to pay the freed slaves uh, for their labor yeah. so what they did they wrote contracts and they sent merchants to india and they brought indentured laborers not slaves but indentured laborers who were paid to come and work for a specific amount of time and then they were offered a free trip back to India or if they did not want to return to India then they were given a lump sum of money and a piece of land in Trinidad where they were able to set up their own enterprises and so forth. The African community, when we were freed from the enslavement uh, we got absolutely nothing so we had nothing to start with and uh, I know a lot of people think that oh yeah it's the same between the between the Indians and the Africans in the Caribbean they were both their brought as slaves but that is far from the truth the Indians in the Caribbean or the East Indians as we call them they were brought on contract and mm. paid and they were allowed to keep their names that's why so many of them name uh, Ram Jitsun and Muhammad and all of the names that they have, they still have their names. That's why the Hindu religion and culture is still alive and well in the Caribbean because they were allowed to keep their culture. They, were, they still speak Hindi in Trinidad, the East Indians, because they were allowed to keep their language. And they have the land because it was given to them for free. Okay. Like I was even saying to you, which you probably didn't realize because... I mean, you've grown up in Trinidad, you've been in Trinidad for a long time and you grew up there, but you didn't realise like how much of the Indian culture was actually influenced Trinidad culture because you'll be like, we're going to do this dish or, you know what I mean? Yes. I'll be like, that's actually Indian dish. So yeah. I think that you don't even realise like how much yeah. of like the culture is influenced um, the island as well. You know, Trinidad is named Trinidad or La Trinity. But it was originally called Irie. It was originally called Irie. Which Irie means cool. Like in like in Patra, cool. everything's cool. Yes. Which I love, which I feel like that really should be the name of Trinidad because as we know how well you can tell us about yeah. the culture of Trinidad and the carnival and all yes. of that. Yes. Well definitely Trinidad is Irie because we are rated as the happiest country in the Western Hemisphere and we are also rated as the least productive country in the Western Hemisphere. Our weekends starts on Wednesdays and we party every single day 
until carnival come when we could party all day all night for an entire six weeks wait carnival six weeks no carnival is two days but we actually start yeah. actually eight weeks no uh -huh. ten weeks so you start like eight weeks before yeah ten weeks just drag before. it out yeah oh, okay. actually from the day after christmas we start carnival oh no wonder that's why it's christmas now yeah in it's Trinidad. christmas now in Trinidad. yes just an excuse december 26th yeah. it's full-blown carnival all right, going back to the issue or the topic we were speaking about yes. before, I just want to ask you, what's your personal stance on black liberation and what made you decide to become a part of the black caucus movement? Well, when I looked at the disparity that was facing the African community, not only in Trinidad, but uh, from my seven trips to the United States, uh, being all across the United States, I've, I've been to over 105 cities in the US across 20 states and I saw the disparity amongst my African my African brothers and sisters I saw that we were the consumers but we were never the producers even here in the UK I'm realizing it that we in Trinidad I could speak about the African community in Trinidad or the black community we purchase the most food but own none of the supermarkets we purchase the most clothes and shoes, but we own none of the store. We rent the most, or we have the most families, but we own the least houses. We own the least land. And I realized that there was something, some disparity between us and the other communities. And I felt as if, okay, I go into the restaurant, the Chinese own it. I go to rent an apartment, the East Indian own it. I go to buy some clothes or something, to the mall the syrians own the mall and i was looking for where could i support my african brother where does my black brother have his enterprise and i searched my island and i couldn't find it and i said this is ridiculous for a country with over 45 percent of the population being black and black people have no business i think i know probably two black businessmen out of over 500,000 black people in trinidad so personally i wanted to do something about that there was an organization that was set up the black caucus movement that was set up which is geared towards the upliftment of the african community so i joined the black caucus movement as a member and within two weeks um, the the members they actually physically grabbed me and took me to the founder and said we are going to make this young man our youth leader so I became the youth leader of the Black Caucus movement and immediately I started to draft policies and plans and put things in place uh, to not only to build black enterprise but to reprogram the young black minds even from the age of two, three years old as they would go into preschool. I started to design a chain of black preschools that we could teach them black ideology, black liberation, black studies, black empowerment, black financial empowerment, because that is the thing that we were lacking the most. Uh, so I was in the Black Caucus movement and I was doing that uh, for a while. Uh, I also used to host a radio show and a television show for the organization. And it, it was a fantastic opportunity for me to work on behalf of my African brothers and sisters in mm -hmm. Trinidad. That's awesome. So do you have any black leaders or movements that you relate to? Um, relate to? Um, of course, um, 
I look up to Stokey Carmichael, who is known to the world as Kwame Toure. He is the person who, I don't think he coined the phrase, but he popularized the phrase Black Power. Okay. And also, I look up to uh, the Black Power movement that was back then, the Black Panthers. Uh, of course, you know, that was Tupac Shakur's mom and so forth. Huey P. Newton. Huey P. Newton. I look up to Angela Marcus Garvey mm -hmm. a lot. I research his studies and so forth. I look up to uh, Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. You know, Malcolm X was one of the strongest figures. I in... think Malcolm X was like the first like black leader I related to, like, like the strongest, like... You see, the, the, the thing that made me relate to Malcolm X the most is because at that point in time, I was looking at Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a great, a great black leader that fought for our brothers and sisters for equal rights. You know, he fought alongside Rosa Parks. They called him to Montgomery to give a speech there. But I listened to the speech of Dr. Martin Luther King and, you know, he was saying something. I'm just going to paraphrase. He was saying something like, even if you kill me, I'm going to love you. Even if you drag me out into the streets and my sons and beat us, even if you rape my daughters and my wife, I'm going to love you until you learn that I am an ordinary person like you. And it's great to yeah. have that kind of compassion in your heart. Yeah. But when I look at all that has been done to my ancestors, when I look at the discrimination that my people still face to this day, I was drawn to what Malcolm X was saying that, listen, I ain't no punk. Mm. If you come around me, you're going to get what you're looking for. Yeah. He wanted to see his brothers united, but he was not going to allow the other communities to take advantage of him. He was not yeah, going to be as meek yeah. as Dr. Martin Luther King. So that's why I looked to him. But all of these leaders, I think that they all point to one black leader who is not on the scene anymore, but he has his student who's carrying on his work. Of course, this black leader is the greatest black leaders of all times. His name is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Mm -hmm. Elijah Muhammad is the one that came to us and told us, listen, you are the original man. You are the one who was created by God in his image and in his likeness. We know from the Bible that in Genesis and, and the Muslims have in their Quran as well, that God made a man there was an original man named Adam mm -hmm. and he's saying that we are the direct descendants of that original man and God made that original man in his image and in his likeness and scientists has proven that what Elijah Muhammad has said is true because we have in us what is called menelin and we are menelin our menelin is very strong and the paler your skin gets is the more recessive the menelin in your body is mm -hmm. and as you go to the final stage of the caucasian then there's almost no evidence of menelin now what was proven was that a person with strong menelin could create someone with weak menelin 
but someone with weak melanin could never create someone with strong melanin. So all came out of the black race. It has been scientific, scientifically proven. It cannot be denied anymore. The black race are the fathers and mothers of all races in this world. Of course, like I said, that teacher is no longer here. So we look to his student who I idolize as my teacher, even though I've never met him, even though I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Christian, even though I do not belong to the nation of Islam, I see the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan as the greatest black leader of any time. And this is the one that I look up to and respect the most. Wow. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yes. That was powerful. And just to let you know, Louis Farrakhan is the same one who called the Million Man March mm -hmm. in Washington so many years ago. Mm. Called for one million black men to march to Washington. Two million black men showed up. He called for one million black families to march to Washington a few years later. Mm -hmm. Two million black families showed up. He has built the strongest and the biggest black organization, or he leads because it was built by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but the Nation of Islam is the strongest and biggest black organization for black liberation and black ideology. Okay, so now I'm gonna ask you about your mission. My mission? Well, I am personally on a mission to share my life story with 10,000 groups or congregations across the world to tell them or to inspire and motivate them that no matter what they're going through in life, that God is able to raise you up from that situation and place you where he has destined for you to be. You know, I'm now following the footsteps of some of the great black leaders, but I trust that God has something in store for me. And I want to encourage everyone to follow your passion, follow your dream, Disregard your circumstances, disregard the situations of the past. Today and tomorrow are new days and you could always accomplish what you set out to accomplish. That's amazing. And you're also writing a book as well. I'm writing my second book right now, yes. Tell us a bit. Well, tell us about your first book, which is Beyond Face Value. Tell Beyond us a Face bit Value, the story of Romel Rovello, which is basically uh, the first part of my life story. Uh, where I write about all of the things that we spoke about.